Hello listeners, I wanted to tell you about something that I use and was part of its inception, Joyful.Gifts. Joyful.Gifts is a service that makes giving gifts very easy and joyful. You tell us who you want to give gifts to, set a budget, and then we select buy and ship the gift automatically to every occasion while you have peace of mind. Best of all, you actually save money since the software continuously mines the web for the best prices for you. If you want to give it a try, it's at joyful.gifts. No www, no.com. Just type joyful.gifts in your browser and you're set to go. Thank you. Hello and welcome to the History of the Cards. Bonus episode 6. Coptic Voice. So if you remember, I spoke before about a super secret project, a nonprofit in the works that I needed your help with. Well, your response was great. Some supported the podcast and the project through Patreon. Some sent words of encouragement. And some shared the podcast in social media and word of mouth. To this day, I am amazed at how much support the podcast received. And because of this support, Today, we have a very special episode where we get to talk about this super secret project that your support have brought to life with two special guests who are leading the effort. Do you guys want to introduce yourselves? Sure. Hello, everybody. Hello, John. My name is Marianne Malika Bolis, and I am a first-generation Egyptian-American Copt. I was born and raised in Los Angeles, California. Today, I live in Orange County, right below LA with my husband, Tony. I work by day as a nonprofit consultant, and I help nonprofits with things like grant writing, copywriting, program evaluation, things like that. And by night, I run my own nonprofit called Coptic Voice. Sarah, do you want to introduce yourself? Sure. Hi, John. Hi, um, History of the Cops listeners. Um, my name is Sarah Salama. I'm a first-gen Coptic Canadian Sudanese Egyptian. Um, I've lived in four different countries, seven different cities. Um, so if you want to talk about your basic Coptic identity crisis, I've got that down pat. <laughs> I'm currently the chief legal advisor at Coptic Orphans uh, based in Washington, D.C. And if you haven't heard of Coptic Orphans, it's an incredible development organization making a real large scale impact on Egyptian society. I'm also the chairwoman of Coptic Voice, another incredible organization giving space to the voices of the Coptic diaspora and beyond. This is, this is really great, guys. Uh, may I ask, what brought this idea to mind? I mean, uh, Marianne, you have your own consulting company. You're well accomplished academically. And there's like a, a million things that you can do if you wanted to. What sparked this passion in you? And Sarah, how exactly did you get involved in this effort? Like, how did you guys meet and, and organize around this idea? Yeah, so I started this organization actually because my aunt and uncle run a newspaper called the Orthodox News, and it is so prevalent in California. I mean, I've seen it all up and down the coast. 
I've even seen it in the Egyptian consulate. And the Orthodox newspaper is all in Arabic and it's for the Egyptian Coptic immigrant community. So growing up with that, I saw how my aunt and uncle had a hand in forging the immigrant Coptic identity in America, helping people get connected, helping people find out about each other, events that are happening all over California and beyond. And I realized that while it was great that my parents had something to read about every week, we had nothing. As American cops, I know most people who are listening can relate. We don't really um, remember Arabic. So I, the most Arabic I know is what I took in college. I can't read a newspaper. So I, the idea was planted in my mind when I was about 19 years old, and it didn't come to fruition until I was in my master's program to start something for the English-speaking Coptic diaspora. And essentially, there's also a cultural generation difference, right? So older Egyptians, older, older people in the Coptic diaspora tend to speak Arabic because they tend to be the immigrants, while, while younger Coptic Americans, we speak English. So I couldn't start a newspaper like my aunt and uncle or start an English column in my aunt and uncle's newspaper because it, no, nobody would read it. The, I wouldn't reach my demographic. So I decided to start something similar to what my aunt and uncle were doing, but using a medium that would reach my demographic, which is younger, which is the internet. All right, and the last thing I wanted to say is that also I noticed that as Coptic Americans, specifically first generation and second generation and now third generation Coptic Americans, we don't really have a presence. So we're kind of ignored. And what I mean by that is it's difficult for people in Egypt to really understand what we're going through. Somebody who's born and raised in New Jersey is going to have a completely different perception of reality than somebody who was born and raised in Sohag. That's a very interesting point about, about this, uh, you know, different, different worldviews of someone who... Uh, who grew up in here or was born in here and someone who uh, who st who isn't here right now but he grew up in Egypt um, we, we can elaborate on that later on I just wanted to build I want to wanted to build a platform that would enable our perception to be put on under a uh, for to put our perception on a stage where people can actually not only understand what it's like to be Coptic American, but for Coptic Americans to understand what it's like to be Coptic American, because we all have our own experiences and we all assume that we're alone in those experiences. So why not come together and build together what it means to be a global Copt, whether you're in England, Australia, America, or Paraguay? I really like that global copt word. Uh, Sarah, so can you tell us uh, how did you get involved in this effort? You know, how did you meet Marianne? Sure, I'd be happy to. Um, well, Jonathan, we actually met at the same event that you and I had met at last year. Um, I heard wow. Marianne and yourself. And yeah, <laughs> it's a small world, right? <laughs> um I heard Marianne um, and yourself speak on a panel and was amazed, um, of course, at you, but also was amazed at how articulate Marianne was and how 
he had such a great um, handle on the issues. Um, so I basically decided then and there that we had to find a way to collaborate. So um, after meeting um, in DC, um, she left back to California and we chatted about opportunities um, that we could use each other and collaborate with each other uh, to bring human rights advocacy and political activism to the forefront of um, the, the Coptic diaspora's mind. Um, so shortly after that, I joined the board of Coptic Voice as chairwoman, and we are now doing just that. So basically, okay, this is, you guys completely came out of nowhere and came up with this amazing idea. Yeah. Uh, like uh, Marianne had her newspaper idea, and but she wanted to do it 21st century. You had your ideas about, you know, advocacy and giving the cops a voice. And you guys just met randomly. You hit it. And this is this this idea was born. Mm. It's called I don't like I don't believe in coincidence. I totally believe in God's providence. And I definitely think that this is an example of that. So so let me ask you this. Did you guys have to take the permission of someone in the community? Did you did you like run it by someone who has more experience in these things? Uh, I'm not going to ask you to eat yourselves, but for the listeners, you guys are basically millennial slash use, correct? Yes, I'm actually the exact cutoff between what is a millennial and what is a Generation Z. <laughs> You'd like to say she's a little bit of a younger millennial yeah. than I am. <laughs> But yeah, you, know, you guys are basically, you know, you're not like well, well experienced, you know, uh, uh, community organizers. So when you had this idea and you met, were you, did you feel like this is something that you can just start and go with? Well, for that, to me, the what happened was twofold. Career was in community. So I had already done things similar to Coptic Voice in my local community such as event planning, writing articles to, you know, get um, policies passed at the local level, things like that. So I already had the know-how and that was actually one of the things that spurred me to do it. I was thinking, why am I doing this for, you know, I'm writing articles for the black community, for the Hispanic community, for my city's community, but I'm not doing this for my, you know, Coptic community. Um, so that in terms of being that in terms of the know-how, I had it and, and not, I mean, of course, not an expert. There's always more to learn and it's only a few years in and I'm always making mistakes and always learning from those mistakes. But in, but I did feel confident enough to just be like, okay, I'm going to start this. Um, and also I did have my aunt and uncle who gave me advice about how to approach the Coptic community and things like that, because they are definitely experts and they have been doing this for like 30 plus years. But I did not necessarily ask permission. I did go to my abunas and I told them like, hey, I'm doing this thing. What do you think? I even went to uh, the to Bishop Krolos, who is the dean of Acts Theology School in. Mm -hmm. They I just kind of told them like, hey, I'm, I'm doing this thing. What do you think? And they were so far. They they have been pretty supportive. Uh, Sarah. It's hard to imagine sometimes how much difference does advocacy make. I'm sure you heard it before about you know how advocating for this issue that seems so far away in a different world, or advocating for that group uh, is 
is a waste of time or you know you're not going to really get anything practical out of it can can you tell the listeners about a time when it really made a difference uh in your work definitely um and it's actually really funny that you that you asked that right now because um so i live in dc right and i'm right now i'm looking out um at the washington monuments and i can see the lincoln memorial and it really makes me think of um you know, the historic I Have a Dream speech given by Martin Luther King on the steps of uh, the Lincoln Memorial in 1963, where, you know, he demanded for equality for um, African-Americans. Um, and most people, you know, will only have in mind um, MLK when they think of equality in, in the United States. And he, as a person, is super praised uh, for the success of that effort. And of course, he deserves that as well. But I think as a community, we really need to look at the idea of a movement, um, about the organization, about, um, you know, the collective effort to bring about changes in legislation and ultimately equality. Um, I bring that up um, and I harp on this all the time. Um, but I think that the cops in specific um, have what I call advocacy fatigue. You know, they're tired of listening to the same like borderline anti-Islamic rants of the past generation. They're tired of the disconcerted efforts that lead to basically nowhere. And they're tired, frankly, uh, both, you know, I've heard in and out of Egypt, um, of their identity and their interests being pretty much misrepresented or not represented at all. So I think that part kind of explains why people especially in our community, are not too keen on advocacy or political um, activism. Um, but in my two short years doing advocacy in D.C., um, you come to understand that change is incremental. And it's actually more based on relationships than anything else. Um, an example of this would be um, I go to Congress quite often and I give uh, briefings to um, staffers at Congress um, or hold panel events to educate people on the Coptic issue. Um, and through um, those events and through um, my work with Coptic orphans, actually, I've made some really close connections there. And one of those close connections um, is Congressman Fortenberry who um, is definitely a champion of the Coptic cause in Congress. Um, and it was through my relationship with him that I was able to basically educate him a little bit more on the Coptic issue and update him on incidents that happen or on pressing issues that the community in Egypt brings up to myself um, as a priority. Um, and he's then able to use that information um, because he has a close relationship with the Egyptian government, he's able to use that in a way that will benefit um, the situation of the cops in Egypt. And this might seem quite small. Um, you know, it's not a big national campaign. Um, you, I don't have 100,000, you know, cops in the diaspora backing this, but it's just about finding the right people to get the right message across um, in order to make real change. First, there's two things that I, I, I want to get out of this. So basically, in your very little time, 
in DC doing this kind of work, you're already able to develop a relationship with uh, people who communicate back and forth with the Egyptian government. Um, and that's with almost no, no resources and, like I said, a very short amount of time. And also, I, w- I would like you for you to elaborate and the, the misrepresentation of the, of the Coptic issue, because I think this is something that is, can cause a lot of damage to the cops, the global cop that we, we are concerned about, but it's almost not a, addressed at all. Mm-hmm. Definitely, you're right um, on that point that it's not addressed at all. Um, the idea is that if you don't have people who are willing to speak on the issue, that creates a vacuum, and that vacuum is going to just be filled with whoever, right? Whether they have the expertise or not, whether they have a good handle on the issues or not. Um, And that's kind of what happened, I feel, with um, our advocacy efforts as a community. There are definitely some excellent groups out there doing some hard and noble work on the issue, but largely my exposure to this area has been pretty disappointing um, for two reasons. One um, is the reason I already mentioned is that the efforts are really disconcerted, meaning they're not organized, they're not, um, they don't have widespread um, engagement from the actual communities. And the issues that are raised um, don't seem to be pressing for the actual community in Egypt. So. In order to do good advocacy work, in my opinion, um, you have to be able to raise the voices of those in the field, right? Um, And I feel like that has been quite lacking in this area. Um, The other thing is the way of educating and communicating these issues, it it hasn't been done um, in a way that would be palatable or well-received by those who are um, in power or those who have the abilities to uh, remedy these situations. So it's two things. It's the organization of the community that's lacking and also the um, communication of the issues that is not currently being done at um, the highest level it could. So far, we didn't really talk about what exactly Coptic Voice and what are we, what what is Coptic Voice trying to achieve. We kind of got a little bit uh, of a hint of what you said, Sarah, which is advocacy work. But is that all Copt? Is that all what Coptic Voice is trying to do, or is it a big part, or is it this and some other stuff? So, can you guys tell us exactly what is Coptic Voice and what its mission and what it's trying to achieve? I'll allow our excellent executive director, Marianne, answer that question. Okay, so essentially the mission of Coptic Voice is we want to help forge our global Coptic identity through multimedia like podcasts, um, YouTube, our, the internet, social media, our, our website, a book press. And in doing that, we actually build a political a political bargaining power and a presence within the world, especially pertaining to Egypt and America. And through that political bargaining power, we can actually help do our part as cops to solve issues like 
you know, like crimes against humanity and getting cops engaged in human rights advocacy for both Coptic people who are suffering in Egypt and the rest of the world. So let me ask you this. If um, even so, obviously, everybody should, this should be an, an issue for them. But let's say I am, you know, uh, a Coptic person in, in Austin, Texas. Uh, I, I care about what's happening in Egypt, but it's not the most pressing issue for me at the moment. Is there anything that Coptic Voice would do for me? I think what Coptic Voice can do for that person is remind yeah. them that at the end of the day, they are tied to that person in Egypt, whether or not they feel it. And mm -hmm. I know what it's like because for a long time, I actually like completely abandoned the Coptic community. I mean, I went to church, but I, I didn't think about Egypt because it's almost like it's almost like you're willfully trying to forget because it's the situation there is too hard, too complicated, too confusing. Mm. And um, but I think that by and this is another issue that's happening with you know the Coptic diaspora is the kids who are born into America they they just leave they don't you know by the third or fourth generation which I've seen the word Coptic is even the word Egyptian is dropped from their vocabulary they're just American. Um, and it's because it's, it's easier. So I think that by reminding that person that, hey, you come from this heritage, this rich heritage that stems back thousands of years is from the cradle of humanity. So it's not that they just have a duty to helping those cops who are still in Egypt. It's that they also have a duty to themselves because they are denying a part of their identity, which also means I, I, denying a part of their ancestry, of their lineage, of, of what it took for them to get to Austin, Texas. And when you deny a part of yourself, you're not just hurting yourself, but you're also hurting your community and you're hurting the generations to come next. And a part of being American means, and this is this is the case for everybody, not just Coptic not just Coptic people, but a part of being American means coming to terms with your identity as a American. American is not is not a one size fits all identity. It's a pluralistic mm -hmm. identity, and each person has to go through their own journey to come to terms and accept and embrace what their identity means. So, so basically. You know, full disclaimer, by the way, I am part of Coptic Voice and I'm on the board. So I'm going to say we. So basically, uh, we're trying to, what we're trying to, uh, to achieve is, uh, is build that global Coptic identity and, and allow people to connect with it. And uh, we feel that once a person connects to, to their Coptic identity, it's almost natural that they feel inclined uh, to speak up. And that's where the name Coptic Voice comes in, because ultimately what uh, Coptic Voice is trying to do is uh, to give Copts all over the globe, the, the Coptic diaspora, um, a voice uh, to speak of and to allow uh, you, the listener, if you're a Copt, or even if you're not a Copt, we, we invite you to be involved, to, to be able to refine that identity, to be able to reflect who we truly are. Um, and, and through that, we'll be able to find our voice. Uh, exactly. So do you guys feel that the Coptic community is ready for this? Are we ready to be more active, uh, not just politically, but culturally 
and um, you know being able to produce uh, works or individuals that able to change our, our world in a positive way. Uh, I'm sure you have felt you have felt that before because I know I felt it. That there's always that negative connotation in our community to taking a, a strong stand, especially if that stand is political. And uh, it's not it's almost like something that we're not supposed to do. Uh, I actually heard uh, the verse, you know, be still or be quiet and the Lord will fight for you, being brought up in, the, in that context. Why is organizing and basically having a voice something that we should be doing? I don't know, uh, Jonathan, how this is going to sound to your listeners, but to me, Jesus is the ultimate rebel and social justice advocate. Um, and I really do believe that it's quite a biblical act uh, to advocate on behalf of others. And actually, there is a very common uh, proverb verse. I think it's uh, in Proverbs 31 that says to speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves and defend the rights of the poor and needy. It doesn't get more biblical than that. That's one of my favorite verses. Yeah, yeah. And and for good reason. Um, If we look at the characters in the Bible and the characters that dominate our Christian faith, uh, so for instance, if we look at the character of Jesus or the character of St. Paul, we see that they never back down from asserting their rights um, and the rights of others. So to to have this idea that we are helpless um, in the context that we are put in and that we, um, and God didn't indeed say, be, uh, be still and the Lord will, you know, will fight for you. Um, but he also gave us capabilities and skills and assets and put us in a situation um, in which we can fight for others. Maybe we're not fighting for ourselves, but I think it's definitely the Christian thing to do to fight for others. Um, Actually, really interesting. I had a really interesting meeting the other day with the great Dr. Gregory Stanton, um, whom, if you all don't know him, he um, is who I call the father of genocide studies. um, And that's a Raphael Epkin is the grandfather of genocide studies. But um, he set up the International Criminal Tribunal for the Cambodian and Rwandan genocide to get justice for the victims of those terrible um, massacres. And when he told me something, and he told me that he believes that justice is the expression of God socially, while love is the expression of God personally. And I thought that was so Mm -hmm. powerful. I definitely believe um, that, that this is true. And so when it comes to the cops, being politically active, and are they ready for it? I think definitely. I think there is nothing stopping us. I think, as Marianne was saying earlier, it's almost a duty um, placed upon us um, by just by the virtue of being in the United States, you know, and having the education that we have and having the opportunities that we have to be heard um, to speak on behalf of those who can't speak um, on behalf of themselves. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and the other thing is to use that verse to justify apathy reminds me of that story about the man who is drowning in the ocean and waits for God to save him, 
and the boat comes and offers to save him. And he says, no, I'm waiting for God. Then a surfer comes and he's like, no, I'm waiting for God. And then he finally dies and he goes to God and he's like, hey, why didn't you save me? And God says, I did. I sent you people to save you, but you just let yourself die. Yeah. So that's, that's what I think of. And also like Sarah, I think of um, the, the verse from Isaiah 117 to mm-hmm. learn to do right, seek justice, yeah. defend the press, take up the cause of the fatherless, pled the co- cause of the widow. Um, and, you know, to, to ser- learn to serve the orphan, the widow and the traveler, those have always been for me as a Christian person, that's actually always been a defining part of my Christian identity. And what I've actually always loved about Christianity is, is that it's not just a call to help your own people. That's mm. a tribalistic mentality. Mm. No, it's to serve everyone regardless of who they are and to love everyone regardless of who they are. Yeah. And that's actually, I mean, the guiding factor in my life. Yeah. But however, that being said, I also want to... It kind of explained the cultural context of why some people aren't so politically active. And that's the fact that we are only one or two generations removed from Egypt. Mm -hmm. And in Egypt, it makes perfect sense why you're not politically active. Actually, being anti-political is an act of Mm self-preserverance. Because in Egypt, if you, as I learned from my, which happened to my father, which is another story for another day, but if you try to, you know, if you have a, if you're, if you politically dissent from the mainstream, at best, which is what happened to my dad, is you can be thrown in jail for a couple nights and have your family spied on you for the rest of your life. And at worst, you can be killed. I mean, the Maspero massacre is an example. And um, what happened during the 2011 um, mm-hmm. Arab Spring was an example. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense why. And then again, of course, Coptic people are they're forced into a little box in Egypt. They're barely tolerated in Egypt. So for a Coptic person to say, hey, I think we should have rights, that Coptic person is inviting a lot of hell and suffering into their life. And it's not something to do lightly. Mm. And, you know, if you have a family, mm-hmm. it's it's not something you, it's, it's, um, it's dangerous to your family. Actually, I just saw on the news that Egypt recently tightened its restrictions even more on free press. Yeah. So anybody on the internet that has more than 5,000 followers that is deemed a threat to the nation will actually be blocked from Egypt's servers. And mm-hmm. so I'm wow. thinking, you know, Coptic Voice, we're at 1,000. So maybe people in Egypt are still seeing us. But the fact that we're a newspaper called Coptic Voice and the fact that, you know, we have an article by a guy who was actually... Um, he was sentenced to prison for 15 years in Egypt for taking pictures of um, of the government killing its own people. Mm. Coptic voice is not far off from being banned from Egypt itself, too. Wow. So, you know, I'm actually glad that you brought up the, the whole name Coptic voice because, you know, some people really don't like that label, cops in the diaspora. You know, they prefer uh, second generation Egyptian or just plain Christian, to be honest. I even remember uh, Egypt's immigration minister, who happened to be a cop, at least nominally, called the term, quote, a term that circulated to divide Egyptians. What do you guys say to folks who don't see something useful coming out of emphasizing the Coptic identity or giving it a voice? Okay, so here's the thing. You can't have it both ways. The reality is, is that most people who are coming out of Egypt are Coptic. 
And they're coming out of Egypt for a reason. It's not because they're all trying to seek the land of opportunity. It's because they're trying to escape a horrible situation. So it makes sense why um, the government would say, oh, no, we're all Egyptian, because, mm. <laughs> because that would, they want to ignore the fact that people are escaping because they're so horribly persecuted and discriminated against. Mm. So, so you can't have it both ways. Exactly. Uh, and the other thing is there's a reality. Sorry, Sarah, were you going to No, say? go ahead, go ahead. Oh, and the other thing I wanted to say is that there's a reality that in Egypt, as a Coptic person, you are othered. There's the default group, right? They're the, um, they're the oppressors. They're the ones who make the rules. And then there's the other. They're the ones who live on the sidelines. They are the ones who are, you know, crimes happen to them statistically more if they if something if an injustice happens to them they're statistically more likely to not see justice hap, um, be executed um and you know you can't egypt can't so a, that's why a coptic person can't possibly just say they're egyptian because they have to in egypt they have to live with that identity of being an other and i can't even as an american born i can't even imagine I've seen it in my parents and in, you know, immigrant parents of what it's like to see their psyche grow up as someone who is an other. And there's actually an article on Coptic Voice called The Collective Trauma of Coptic Su Suffering by Jennifer Gobriel. And in it, she says that in America, Black people who are definitely an othered group, one in 10 of them suffer from post-traumatic stress disorder just from existing in America. And having to suffer daily injustices every day. She hypothesizes that in Egypt, it's probably the same. One in 10 Coptic Egyptians have some sort of PTSD from, you know, like my, my mom who would have to choose between, every Sunday she'd have to choose between walking to church, taking the rich route where the people would unleash their dogs on her and taking the poor route where the kids would throw rocks at her because they knew she was going to church. So obviously oh she God. chose the poor route because rocks are a much, and this was Giza, you know, next to the pyramids. It's not like, you know, backwater Egypt. It's, it's a city. It's an urban city that tourists visit. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, that I, my mom, whether or not my mom is aware of it, it definitely affected her psyche. So, and the thing that's so wonderful about America is that in America, we now have a chance to rebuild our Coptic community because it was oppressed and stepped on and forced and forced to be quiet and stomped out like our language, for example. Yeah. So now we are free. America is the land of the, it's, it's, a, it's not perfect, but it's definitely the land, the land free. of the free. Yeah. Home of the brave, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's not perfect. I am not going, I can't pretend, no, anything that's ran by, you know, mm -hmm. nothing is perfect, yeah. but we do have the freedom here to be, to, to, finally get out of that box that we've been forced into for um m for more than a millennium and say actually we are we are an indigenous egyptian we are the indigenous people of egypt we come from the pharaohs we have a language that it was not arabic we have a culture that is not just you know that is not just middle eastern we still Sing the hymns that we sing in church to God are the same exact hymns and tunes that we used to sing to our pharaohs, and we're proud of who we are. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna push back, Marianne, because I, I I did hear that from my conversation from from other people. 
you know, there there is this this alternative narrative where where you know you you were under a bad situation in Egypt, you got out. Now, just be just be a Christian. You know, you don't have to you don't have to come back and 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 you know bring up all this Coptic stuff. And you might cause harm to the people in Egypt by, by you know, being too loud or, 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 or you know, pushing a certain agenda. Yeah. Uh, what, what do you say to those people? Well, okay. Those people might have a right in some respect. For example, and I've said this before, if you are going to, and I've, and I've spoken to people from Egypt, Coptic people from Egypt who have witnessed this happen to them, where Coptic people who are, like I said, those ones who are scarred when they come to America and they are now free, they develop a kind of like, um, it's almost like they're angry now and they want revenge. And if you're going to try to get revenge on Egypt, then yes, what you were, you're, you might hurt the, you will hurt the cops back in Egypt because they're still being oppressed. Yes. You might be free to do whatever you want, post whatever you want, say whatever you want, but they're not. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. and again, it's also not Christian to take revenge. That's not what God asks us to do. That being said, and again, and this is also in, there's just a reality. And again, I learned this from my studies in humanities. We're not just a religion, we're an ethno-religion. And that's just the, like, mm-hmm. people who try to deny that, it's just a fact. Like, that's, Coptic yeah. is a language, it's a religion. And so there's re- yeah. certain realities, and we happen to be an ethno religion that we're. I like to compare us a lot to Native Americans um, because we're mm. what happened to our history is so similar. But there's a reality it's that, American. yeah, it, we were co- exactly, and now we can regain, we can reclaim our culture. That's not to say again. Mm. That's not to say I hate Egypt or. Um, you know, that like, I want Egypt to suffer. I don't, I love Egypt. That's why I want to help Egypt. And I want, and because the, and also, and this is another reality is that when half of your people or in Egypt's case, 10% of your people are oppressed, then that's 10, that's 10% of people who can't contribute to society. So for example, um, Megdi Yacoub, who's one of the, you know, greatest doctors of all time, he wasn't allowed to go to medical school in Egypt. He went to, he had to go to England. And then finally, once he proved himself in England, he could come to Egypt and build, you know, one of the greatest hospitals in Egypt. Same thing with Rami Malek. If Rami Malek mm-hmm. was in Egypt, he'd never, he wouldn't even be able to be in, uh, he'd probably be one of the, in one of the poorly produced, but that's all he'd be allowed to do because he's Coptic. So in America, yeah. he won an Oscar and, you know, people are all too proud to, mm-hmm. to, to, pro, to, you know, take ownership of him or not take ownership. That's not the right word to, you know, be proud of what he did. But there's the reality that in Egypt, he would have never even have made it that far. So um, by, you know, yeah. by, um, by freeing people, they are now able to, to contribute to society. What makes Coptic voice different from, from you know, that mentality that you just uh, you mentioned when, you know, I was under a tough situation and then I came out and now I want to take revenge? What, what things that Coptic voice are doing differently? Or what, what, you know, ideology or what mm. bass forward did you guys have in mind that says, no, no, that's not what we're doing. That's not what we want to do. Right. We're doing something completely different. What is that something completely different? I think, um, oh, sorry, go ahead, Mary. No, you go. I was, your, yours would be better. You go. No, 
I think Coptic voice, by virtue of simply existing, gives a space to contend the issues that Marianne was talking about in terms of, okay, we are an ethno-religious group. We've got the religious part down pat pretty well. We know um, the parameters and the boundaries of that and, and the contents of, of being a religious group. But it's the ethno part. It's the part that's been killed off by thousands and thousands of years of persecution that we really need the space to contend with and to think about from an intellectual and social perspective. Um, so I think Coptic Voice is doing such a great um, such a great service and such a great favor to the community by providing this space for um, first, second, third generation cops who want to discuss these issues from a um, from those perspectives. Um, the other thing is that as as Marianne was saying, Coptic voice is not about obviously getting revenge. And it's not only about cops, it's about helping others come to terms with their identity and helping others speak out on behalf of, of like we were mentioning, the poor and the needy and those who can't speak for themselves. Um, so within that framework, um, Coptic voice provides um, the tools um, and the messaging um, and the ability to understand the issues um, better and to be able to say to somebody, okay, you want to yell at the top of your lungs about um, how you've been persecuted by the majority Muslims in, in your country. Um, but how about we do things a different way? How about we talk intelligently to members of Congress or members of your local community about how we can change things in Egypt um, so they're not um, so they're not subject. So the next generations aren't subject to the same things that you were subject to. Excellent. So I think we got down the advocacy part pretty well. Other than the advocacy, what practical things are you guys going? Uh, uh, is Coptic Voice going to do, um, like over the next five years, for example? Okay. So. Some, some things we have in the works. We want to create a book press for the Oriental Orthodox lay people. So right now we have Ancient Faith Publishing, but they are definitely, and they're great. I love them. I love their books, but they're definitely Eastern Orthodox centric and we're Oriental Orthodox. And um, we do have book presses in, in America, but they're, it's usually for, you know, kind of like translating the, wor the words of the fathers. It's for priest to write in but let's say if there's um you know an ethiopian orthodox man who wants to write a book and he, about you know that that incorporates his again his ethno religion in it somehow and he has no platform for him to use same with a coptic person same with um an indian orthodox person does it have to be like obviously we're doing the book press but th does it have to be a religious work can someone just write a novel a children book Yes, uh, you know. Yes, it's just where okay. that gap exists. So everything like Coptic Voice is always about giving a platform where there was no platform. So there is a gap, you know, for people, you know, of a, even if you look at um if you look at a author roster, you don't find many. It's just very difficult to find that voice. It's it's called a unique voice story and it's really it's because it okay. won't sell like on a on a traditional publisher like Penguin Random House, it doesn't justify their cost and their benefit 
or sorry, it doesn't justify the cost according to the benefit because they assume that only Ethiopian people will buy it and there's not enough of a population to justify the cost of publishing. So we want to be, we want to be that book press for those kinds of people. Um, We also have another podcast in the works that Jonathan can talk about. And we also want to, our goal is to, you know, Coptic Voice right now, we're publishing about once a week, but it's a staff of me and a volunteer editor. It would be great if we had, you know, if we were like Egyptian streets where we had a whole staff of people and we can always, you know, we can Mm -hmm. break the latest news um, and just always be out there, um, always just always be out there, always reporting and providing a different narrative than the one that current the one that is currently available. So to summarize, I mean, what we're trying to do is enrich and maintain the the Coptic cultural heritage. So things right now that we're actively working toward would be a book press to fill the gaps, you know, where it doesn't exist right now. If someone wants to express their cultural identity, um, then that's exactly what 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 the... Book press is for, and that can be through novels. Um, it can be children books. It could be something completely that's not our mind. Uh, we're also, uh, and this is a good opportunity for me to lead into the to the new podcast that Coptic Voice is working on, and it's uh, it's essentially Coptic stories. Those in our in and around us who have created something great or broken a significant barrier. We want to hear their stories. We want to use their stories to inspire other cops to also build something great, break break a significant barrier. Uh, And we really want to take the the online publication that we do right now, Coptic Voice, to make it, uh, you know, to grow it, reach more people, and uh, to be be there for the the community, to be its voice. and that's, of course, all this in addition to the advocacy work that Coptic Voices is trying to do. So if we jump forward 25 or even 50 years from now, what would successful Coptic Voice look like? Oh, in 50 years, Coptic Voice would be a comprehensive nonprofit with an online publication, a book publishing press, multiple podcasts, multiple YouTube videos, and utilize, and we would successfully be able to utilize those avenues to connect cops all over the globe. Um, we would, you know, anybody, if you tell anybody, you know, oh, I'm Coptic, they'll know what Coptic is, just like, you know, everybody knows what Sikh is or, um, you know, being Hebrew is mm-hmm. or being Iroquois is. And, um, and you, so connecting cops all over the globe and then not just connecting them to each other, but also connecting them to global human rights issues and opportunities through that voice. Very good. Great. So, you know, I'm listening to this right now and I'm like, this is, this is sound great. Uh, uh, you know, I want to be part of it. I want to help. How can someone help? Um, does it have to be monetary? Uh, how, how is Coptic Voice, you know, funded? Are you guys taking a salary? It is funded currently by my pockets and the board's pockets, and 
like we said, we're millennials, so we are not that rich. So it would be nice. We don't have that deep pocket. Yes. Yeah. We do not have any compounded wealth right now. <laughs> so it, it would be nice, definitely, if you can contribute monetarily, that would be amazing. We also always need writers. So I almost never write in it because it's not Marianne's voice, it's Coptic voice. So if you have something that is on your chest that you want to talk about and you think you're qualified to talk about it, please reach out to us. Um, and also we, with our new podcast, Coptic Stories, if you have a story you want to share that you think would be cool, reach out to Jonathan. Um, and if you want to volunteer with, if you have a book to write, contact us and we'll help you get published. If you want to get engaged in advocacy, email us and we'll put you on our volunteer list. So there's really so many ways that you can get involved. But I would say since, especially because we're so new, um, like that funding us would be it would be so helpful to us and the other thing is i know egyptians don't typically we're we're more of a stem people we're not an arts people and the idea of using money to mm. support the arts <laughs> is almost like you know like laughable but i will say that we're not just an an arts nonprofit we're using the arts to for for purposes of of building a Coptic, a global Coptic identity where there wasn't one before and using that identity for human rights issues. So there's, so we're getting stuff done with the arts. So that is my yeah. humble plea and my humble pitch and, to and, you. And my, like, yeah. my contribution, I'll just share a small story. When I, when I first started this podcast, I was like, there must be a comprehensive history book that covers the history of the Copts. And I don't mean like the story of the saints or stuff like that. No, I mean like, you know, the geopolitical changes, you know, you know things that our community experienced. I said, there must be something out there. And there is nothing. There is the, the last thing that was written mm -hmm. was almost more than 100 years ago. And it was written by a British lady living in Egypt. She was part of the colonial administration. And she really connected with the cops and she tried to to tell their story in a sympathetic way. But obviously she has major limitation because she was, you know, one of the colonial administration running Egypt. So things like the, the you know, the monastic movement, she called that chapter, the, you know, the, the a suicide of a nation. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, she just did not get it. And she really, she really tried her best. But to me, as, as a person who, I'm a pharmacist by the way, by, by, by training. So I'm the one of the STEM people. But to me, we, we need at least some basic uh, humanities that, that covers our heritage. Yeah. And we really don't have that. Yeah. Um, you know, when, when the last time we have like great iconography, our iconography, if you really look into it, it's, it's just there's so much creativity that goes into it. Mm. But it's almost unknown in the world. You will never go to the, to the Louvre, for example, and see a Coptic painting. Like you can see the four and fifth century stuff as, as like, you know, that's archaeology. But where is our, you know, art in the last 500 years? Mm. It just doesn't exist. It does exist, but no one ever talked about it. And, and, you know, this is the things that we should be talking about. And this is how we refine our identity. And this is mm. how we promote our identity. And, 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 you know, this is really what Coptic Voice is trying to do. And this is what my podcast is trying to do. And uh, this is what the, the new podcast, Coptic Stories, will, will try to do, but from a different perspective. Um, lastly, because I, I know you told 
people to uh, to to retrust us. What would be the best way for for someone to like reach out to Coptic Voice or Shanasan or Marianne or Sarah? You can email us at copticvoiceus at gmail.com or DM us on our socials like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, etc. Mm-hmm. Oh, I just wanted to say, I just wanted to comment on your story about um, the the um, British colonial woman who wrote about the cops in a sympathetic way. Um, I just wanted to note that that's still happening. Um, because we don't have anybody to speak um, on our behalf. Um, and if we don't speak for ourselves, um, others will speak for us, which is never beneficial to our community. So that is another yeah. reason people should be supporting Coptic Voice. Yes, actually, that could be something that yeah. you include in the answers of um, why should cops be politically involved, is to take back our narrative. It's like exactly like that article you wrote. Mm. If we don't, then somebody else is going to, and they're going to for sure get it wrong. Yeah, agreed. The article that Marianne is referring to is, uh, is, uh, is an article that I wrote for Coptic Voice. It's called Who's Going to Tell Our Story? Oh, yeah, uh, I, I love that article. Yeah, and it's basically getting the, a figure like uh, Shinuda the Archimedrite, who's considered mm. a saint in our church. Mm. But he was just more than a saint. He was a major figure in his community, and he took a political stand. He he did a lot of things, and and we we don't tell the story. We all we, to us, if you go to the Synaxarium, you have a paragraph about him. Who's you know he was a saint. He went to a monastery. He ran it, and it's all good mm-hmm. and great. Mm-hmm. But if we don't talk about the other things that he did, someone else will, yeah. and their 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 perspective or their narrative does not do justice to the to the Coptic story. Yeah. I wonder if it's um, John, if it's it's important to also address um, the importance of stories within culture, aside from historical okay. fact, right? So stories bind us together, and it's actually those stories that have yeah. survived the persecution, right? Whether they're true or not, um, that's that's a different story, I guess. Yeah, I mean, and the Coptic story, I mean, I'm a little bit biased because I'm making a podcast on about it. History, but, yeah. <laughs> but, the, but the Coptic story, it, it, it's such a great story of like, you know, of perseverance and, and doing whatever you have to take, that you have to do to survive. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, looking at it from the big picture, and even when you jump into the details, yeah. it's just a fascinating story. But, mm-hmm. um, but anyway, uh, you know, uh, if it's not clear, full disclaimer, you know, I am part of the, of the board of Coptic Voice. I'm, I'm 100% behind the mission. So from now on, um, the podcast is part of Coptic Voice. Um, it will still be written and produced by me, but we will try to bring in different voices and we'll try to do different things. So please, if you want to get involved in the effort, we encourage you to reach out. We can be reached at copticvoiceus.com. You can reach out through the podcast website. You can reach out through you know, the usual uh, social media. Uh, now, to conclude this episode, if, if there is one small thing that you guys can ask our listeners to do right now, what would you ask? Um, I guess I would ask 
especially for the Coptic listeners, to make an effort to reconcile their identity, um, their Coptic identity with their American or or um, immigrant identity, because that will be beneficial to themselves and to the community. I would ask you to please tell your friends and family about us and to um, subscribe to our newsletter and um, subscribe to our podcasts our, um, and our, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram. And if you can also donate to our Patreon. I know that's more than one thing, but I can't choose between them. <laughs> <laughs> They're all important things. Yeah, definitely all of those things too. Yeah, at the very least, we will encourage you to um, check out the, the, the Coptic Voice uh, the website and talk about us to your friends and family. Um, you know, we want your feedback too. If you have feedback for us, then please, we would love to hear your feedback because we are building something together. Um, and and there is power in having a collective voice. And uh, as you're listening to this, I, I hope that you would consider having your voice to be part of, of, our, uh, of what we're trying to do. Well, um, thank you everybody for listening, and we should resume our narrative um, next week. And Thanks, Jonathan. Goodbye. Thanks, Jonathan.